All right, welcome back to the Sooner Surge, and today we have a special episode as we are joined by a senior writer for The Athletic, and also you can catch her on Big Ten Network as studio analyst for college football. It's Nicole Auerbach. Thank you so much, Nicole, for taking time to join us. Yeah, happy to be here. So as some of these, some of these individuals here will be heading off to college and will be you know, pursuing their career in sports journalism, just kind of tell us how how you got started into it and maybe where that passion came from for you. Yeah, for me, it was something that I found in college and uh, didn't know that it was something that I wanted to do before then. So uh, I'm always, you know, in admiring those who figure this stuff out younger and have these stories of wanting to get into it and, you know, writing a newspaper for their elementary school or whatever. All these different stories are where people discover it early. Mine was pretty much by accident. I mean, I, I always played sports and loved being around sports. But I had not uh, really thought that these were jobs that regular people had and got to do until I got to the University of Michigan and it was welcome week of my freshman year. I was talking to a girl down the hall about our dream jobs and her dream job was to be a heart surgeon and she did end up going to medical school and, and becoming a doctor and I said my dream job would be to write for Sports Illustrated. I mean, I was reading it cover to cover every week, and I, I loved it. And I loved the writers, and I loved the stories. But again, I didn't realize that these were, like, real jobs that regular people got to do. And she was a sophomore, and one of her friends had been working at the Michigan Daily, the student newspaper. And she told me, you should go. Go to a meeting. So she got me in contact with the sports editor before the very first meeting uh, for the year. And I went because when you're a freshman in college, you're trying to make friends and figure out what you want to do. So I went and decided it would be an activity I would try and maybe make some friends doing it. And it was the day after Michigan lost to App State. So that was the first game of my freshman year. Actually, my first college football game because I grew up in a very pro sports area in New Jersey and hadn't gone to college football games and went to a meeting at the Michigan Daily the next day. And I just was amazed that four seniors were the football writers for the Michigan Daily and that what they wrote about this massive upset, the biggest upset in college football history was going to be printed in a newspaper and everyone around campus was going to read it. And they were experts. And it was a really cool experience to get to watch them basically tear up everything they had already had planned for that first paper of the school year and figure out a what went wrong story and how to explain the history that we all just witnessed. And I, I just remember being really drawn to that and the idea that like these students got to be experts on this campus, that they got to go to media availability is just like all the professionals. And I raised my hand. I picked up a story about Club Ultimate Frisbee. And that was the beginning. I just kind of dipped my toe in and tried it and covered a lot of different small sports for Michigan that first year. I covered soccer, field hockey, gymnastics, and really just got a sense of what it was like, learned how to structure a story, what to ask people to get quotes and, and to try to get better and better at that. And it really all just went from there. But it was really a pure accident because I hadn't thought about it as a career. I thought I was going to major in business or economics and go into business. Until, you know, my neighbor, Alessandra, told me, hey, you should go to this meeting. And she was right. Yeah, I was going to ask that. That's a great story, Nicole. And just 
for these young young people to hear that it wasn't maybe a childhood dream, but one that started later in life. I know Claire here has just kind of picked up on that passion in the last year as far as writing. So that's great to hear. And I'm actually an English teacher, so I'm not in necessarily sports journalism, but I teach AP Lang. And uh, so I have a background in writing, but you've won many writing accolades and awards I've noticed. And what would you say is maybe uh, some advice you would give on the writing side of things? Yeah. The first piece of advice that I always give young writers is to read as much as possible. It doesn't have to be sports journalism or journalism at all, because it's just about reading and thinking about writing creatively. You're going to want to try things that other writers do. And, you know, if, if you're, again, if you, let's say, let's give an example of reading sports journalism. So let's say you, you know, you subscribe to the athletic and you're reading it and you really like a story. What I recommend is when you finish a story, if you like it, just, sit with it for a second and, and ask yourself, why, why did I like it? Was it the anecdote at the top of the story that really drew me in? Was it the, the lead quote? Was it the nut graph? What, what was it that really stood out to you about how the story was written or told? And then if you really hate something that you're reading, do the same thing and say, why didn't I like this? Or what did I feel like was missing? So that way you're just getting a little bit extra out of what you're already consuming, but it makes you think about it in the same way that a, a writer would about something you're writing or an editor would about something that they're editing. And I think it just adds something to your consumption of, of these articles, but also you can do the same thing with novels and, and any form of writing, just, it will get your juices flowing creatively to think about what works and what doesn't work of the media that you're consuming. And I, I think that that's always really, really helpful. And another thing I'll say too, is as you're writing and learning how to report and interview people, the easiest stories to write are the ones where you have too much information because you've talked to too many people because you've done too much research, right? Like you, you it's easier to write when you have more details and more information. So if you feel like maybe you're reading something and it's overly flowerly and maybe there isn't that much information, right? I, I consider myself like I, my writing style is pretty direct. I try to make it, you know, pretty conversational and, you know, I don't try to get too, too flowery in the language, but that's because like, I try to get the details in the interviews or in something that I'm reading about someone to paint the picture, but not have to do it with all my words. I can show, not tell. And I think that that's something you want to look out for as well, if you read something that you really like that you found was insightful about a player or coach or something, you know, well, well, how many people were quoted in it? Did they, you know, did they track down this person's like second grade English teacher who gave them some life lesson that really, you know, set them on this path? It's it's always about the information that you're sharing and the details that you're able to to glean. And so I'm guessing that when you start to, to, to stop after you finish something that you like and think about why you liked it, it's probably going to be the details that you learned about something from someone that either maybe you knew something about or someone you didn't know anything about. So it's about how to get those informations and become a better interviewer, become a better researcher. You just get better and better at that over time. But one area where you'll notice this as you're looking at, you know, the amount of people who are quoted in articles or the information that is shared from a lot of different sources 
is that they probably ended their interviews asking the person, is there anyone else you think I should talk to? Because that's how you're going to get that next phone call and that extra piece of information. And maybe that's going to give you that great detail or that great story that you're going to include in your article. And so it's, it's looking for those little pieces as you're doing the reporting that will make the writing easier. And then in terms of style, as you're consuming and reading more and more people, you'll see what you like. Oh, this person has like kind of short, punchy little leads to get into their stories. This person tells a story and they, they usually, mm, it's like three or four paragraphs and then they get into what the story is about. How are they doing these different things? And you're going to try to duplicate them. Like this is, you know, art is, you're trying other things from other people. And so don't be afraid to be creative or try something that mimics a style that you like, but you need to be, as you're reading it, as you're, favoriting things, thinking about why you like it, and then you can try it yourself. But it basically adds an extra layer where you're getting experience and reps on somebody else's work because you're thinking critically each time you're reading something. Yeah, I, I should have I should have you teach my AP Lang class. That last uh, <laughs> that last question is perfect. For, I may have to show them the video. Yeah. Claire, I may have asked the question you wanted to ask, but go ahead, Claire, if you have one, because um, like what advice do you have on starting and growing a career as a female sports um, writer um, and broadcaster? Yeah, I think that right now it's an awesome time to be getting into this because there are so many different kinds of roles that you see women in. I was thinking about this recently that whenever I mean, I, I grew up, I loved loved sports. We always had ESPN on all day and night in our household, watch whatever game was on at night. But the only women that were really ever on my TV were sideline reporters or like the anchors at the host desk, right? So they were always, you know, sharing the straight news or asking men for their opinions on stuff. And now there's just so many varied roles for women. Um, you know, one of the things that I shout out the Big Ten Network for is like, I've always been an analyst there. I've always had male hosts. They ask me and I get to share my opinions and my takes on things. And that's not that common. There's still not that many women who get to do that. But, you know, when you look at someone like Amina Kimes and all the different platforms she's on where she's sharing her opinion, I, I just think it opens up the doors for so many other types of roles. And that's the important part is you don't need to box yourself into, you know, it, it can only do one, two or three things. There's a lot of different roles out there. And, and because everyone's careers in sports journalism can be so nonlinear now. I mean, I have a friend who she was a um, she was you know, a kind of a, a trending desk writer. And then she went and became a beat writer. And then she became a podcast editor and a producer. And it's like, you know, none of this stuff is linear. And I think that's really important, especially um, for women coming up in this profession is to think about that, that there's all these different roles that you could see yourself doing and you don't need to limit yourself. And I, another piece of advice I always give young women getting into this is you're going to, definitely need male allies and friends and you're going to rely on them and you're going to talk to them about your experiences. They're going to help you. Um, you know, when, when you need solidarity, when you need support, they're going to help when it's 2 AM and you're finishing covering a night game and you have to walk through four parking lots by yourself and you don't feel great about it. There are going to be people who are going to help you, but you also need to find other women around your age and older who can be mentors in this profession, but especially around your age that you're experiencing things with, and you know, you're not alone 
but you can talk to them. Okay. Uh, covering a baseball game, it's going to be 95 degrees. I don't know what to wear. It needs to be professional enough and not casual too much. And how do you, how did you ask this, this coach or player for a phone number to make it clear that you're setting like a professional boundary, right? You need people to talk to. And it makes you feel less alone. It makes you, it gives you a place to vent when something happens, but it's those two pieces. So it's, it's not limiting your, what you see yourself doing and how you see yourself doing it in the field. It's finding your, your group chat of other women that you can talk to regularly. And then it's finding those male allies who support you. And I also will say that I've noticed so much. I've been in this, you know, I've done this professionally for now over 10 years. And I've noticed that the players have never been more comfortable being interviewed by women. So many of them at the high school level and other levels in the careers have already been interviewed by women or used to having women around. A lot of them also, a lot of elite athletes, like their moms have been incredible influences in their lives. So that is getting better and better and better where there there's not you know, yes, sometimes there's older coaches or older folks around the businesses where, you know, they're, they're trying to ask you about, you know, your sports background or your credential. I don't believe you should be there talking about football, let's say, because you didn't play it. But for the most part, these players are so used to it now. And then when they turn on the TV, they see women talking about these sports. They see all of that as well. Um, and so it is totally normal for them. And I think that that's been a, a big advancement of, as well, but it's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of days where you're just thinking about so many more things than your male counterparts have to think about, like what you're wearing. And again, how you're asking for phone numbers to, to follow up with people and, and build sourcing relationships that they're not going to ever think about. And it's just part of what it takes to do the job. It's hard. It's rewarding anything, a lot of this is similar to being a woman in any male dominated field that you just have to kind of do things that are going to take a little bit more time and effort and are going to be more challenging or require more preparation. Again, like if you have to park somewhere and it's 2am and you have to figure out how to get yourself back there safely, but it's growing and there's so many new roles, uh, that women are occupying in this space. And so I think it's a great time to be getting into it. Such great advice, Nicole. Uh, uh, while you're while we're talking about women uh, in journalism, let's kind of segue into women's sports. We're here in uh, Sepulpa, Oklahoma, where I live, which is about an hour and a half from Norman, where the OU women's softball program is, you know, setting record-breaking numbers with attendance. We just are fresh off the Final Four women's basketball championship. That uh, the numbers, the ratings on that were through the roof with Caitlin Clark. What do you attest? maybe the women's games, the women's sports that are thriving right now, what would you attest that to? It's a number of things. Um, and I think that part of it is an increased coverage of these sports. And so as we think about this through like a sports journalism lens, um, you know, like I have been adding coverage of women's basketball to my role at Sirius XM. And last year they asked me, Hey, do you think, you know, you could study up and be ready and be able to do a women's basketball selection Sunday show. And I said, yes. And I crammed and I asked people for advice and I, I learned from other analysts and coaches and people about what I needed to know. And then they wanted to go do live on-site coverage from the final four for the first time. And they said, would you, would you be willing to do that? And I said, yes. And then we did it again this year. And it was incredible to be in Dallas for that while it was 
you could feel the sport was growing. Right. And I could just tell based on a lot of my sports fan friends who were scheduling their days to make sure that they could watch those games. And they were, you know, they, they were the kinds of people who would do that, you know, for the men's final four every single year, but I had never seen them doing that for the women. So I could just feel it. And, you know, I knew the viewership was going to be high and knew the star power and all these other factors were going to play into it. But it was cool to be somewhere that recognized that, that this was a sport that that was taking off and that, that they were going to invest more coverage in it. They also aired more women's basketball broadcasts. And so I think it's made a lot of business sense for a lot of places to increase their coverage of these sports. Um, softball is another great example of that, where like the viewership numbers have been on an upward trajectory. I think it's a really great, like I played softball through high school, so I love softball and I've, uh, it's a great sport to go to. And like the players have always just been so incredible with like the, you know, it's a lot of families go to softball games on these campuses and, you know, you always have players sticking around saying hi and talking to, you know, kids, but it's also a great TV sport. And it's the same with volleyball. I mean, so there's just a lot of growth area. And so I think people who are looking for sports to cover or areas to, you know, add, even if you do cover, you know, college football or whatever, it makes a lot of sense to, diversify you know the things that you're interested in the things that you're following that you're covering and um you know again the viewership's there the readership's there we did a live blog from game one of the women's college world series last year and it shocked everyone how many hits we got and how many people were reading it and it's in part because there's not really that many great websites to find softball scores and softball live updates, but also because it is a growing sport and people were very interested in watching Jocelyn Allo and, and they wanted to know what's happening with Oklahoma's dynasty. And so it's about if people know those stories, if they know that Caitlin Clark is must see TV, they're going to have FOMO if they don't know what's happening, if they don't watch it. And so it's it's really a lot about like the coverage and investing in that around it, because if you know the storylines behind the players and the coaches, you're going to be more interested in tuning in when they play. And so um, that 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 piece has been really cool to watch grow here over the last few years. And gymnastics is another area that's also growing. I mean, it just feels like all of those sports just continue to see them break break records and viewership and all of these things. I mean, I, I was even thinking about with women's college basketball the way the portal is being covered is so different than even last year where everyone is just like, again, all of these people who I don't, I didn't know how invested they were in the sport are like, Oh my God, Haley Van Lith might go to LSU. Like, Oh my God, this would be a super team. You know, it's just like this, there's an understanding because you know, the storylines and you can talk about it. You can engage with it. Um, and it just becomes a natural evolution. So I, I loved covering gymnastics when I was a freshman at Michigan, they were top 10 in the country. They, beat Georgia, who was number one in the country that year in a meet in a dual meet. And I didn't ever, I mean, I, you know, had got a gymnastics birthday parties as a kid, but I didn't know anything about it. But, you know, you get immersed in these sports when you, when you raise your hand and you go to college and you're covering those types of sports for the student paper, you learn a lot about them. The people who you're covering really appreciate that you're there and want to get to know them and tell their stories. But also it's just an incredible experience because it's good to go into a sport you don't know anything about and defer to the experts and learn how to ask them to explain things to you. But also, you know, and I know you guys are going to Oklahoma and, and you're talking about schools like Michigan. Every sport on these campuses is like world-class. 
you're going to be dealing with elite athletes at whatever they're doing. Like Michigan was in the top 10 in the country in gymnastics, my freshman year where I'm learning what I'm doing. I've never done this. I'm learning by, you know, trying and failing and different things. And it was so cool to experience that with a top 10 program and learn from the best. And then Michigan actually just won their first um, national championship in, in women's gymnastics a couple of years ago. Same coach. She's been there for a long time. And I was just reflecting on that and how it was such a great learning experience for me to be around like the best of the best. And, and that's another area that I think when, you know, everyone signs up and wants to work for the student papers in college, like you envision yourself covering football, but you end up covering a lot of these other sports. And I just think it's a really great time to do that because so many of them are, are sending and more and more people are going to be interested in them, but also because no matter what sport it is on whatever campus you're in, you're talking to elite, elite athletes, and you're going to learn something about interacting with them. Yeah. Uh, recently, the Big Ten hired Tony Petiti as their next commissioner. What are your thoughts on that hiring? So it's an interesting question because as someone who covers, you know, college football and college sports nationally, and especially the Big Ten, I was originally hoping it was going to be someone I knew already, right? Like you're, you know, you, you spent all this time in this business trying to build relationships and you see an outside hire. And this happened when Kevin Warren was hired and George Klyovkov and Brett Yormark. And you're like, okay, I got to start from scratch. I got to get to know this person, earn their trust, but also figure out like who they are, what makes them tick, what do they care about? And in, in multiple cases on this front, um, but especially with Brett Yormark and, and then in this case, almost immediately me and a colleague teamed up to do a who is this person story. So you end up talking to people. I talked to a lot of people in his baseball background when he was working for MLB and MLB Network. And I learned a lot about like his leadership style, how he was to work for, how he speaks and carries himself. And also, you know, what he's in, where he's innovated at different points in his career, which ideas were his that were groundbreaking. And so it's not to say that, like, I know him. I'm, I'm going to meet him for the first time next week at the spring college football playoff uh, commissioners meeting. But it helps as a starting point. And um, I think it's a very interesting time to have a commissioner change after a media rights deal was already negotiated, but you're also about to add members and go to a 16 team league and deal with all of the scheduling and logistics and everything that comes with having a conference that goes from the Pacific to the Atlantic. So there's just so many interesting angles to the hire and the change and all of that. But at this point, it's interesting that we're all chatting right now. I mean, we're in the stage where I'm like, all right, I've learned a little bit about who he is. I'm going to meet him for the first time. And then I'm going to try to fast track a relationship, right? I'm going to be trying to see if I can get dinners with this guy off the record just to get to know him as a person. He can get to know me and just make sure that like if he's going to be at things around town or if he's going to be at types of meetings like that, I'm there and I get a little bit of FaceTime and I can shake someone's hand and just continue to build and build and build upon that relationship. And so that's really where mine go my mind goes when there's a new power broker involved in the scene because it's my job to know the commissioners. It's my job to cover the types of things that they're going to be working on, like playoff expansion. And again, how the scheduling is going to work for the big 10 and all of these other dynamics. So, um, so that's where my mind goes. And I I'm very interested to see, you know, when, whenever you get someone coming in from out of college sports, 
you just don't know how, how they're going to handle certain um, topics and issues, you know, like he's probably got to still work through his stances on like NIL and NCAA reform and, and some of those macro issues, the transfer portal, but we're, we're going to all learn that as it goes. And, and I'll just be focusing on, on building a relationship with someone that I need to have a relationship with. Uh, yeah. With college football specifically, how do you think the expansion, when you talk about like, Oh, you in Texas to the sec and then USC and UCLA to the big 10. Uh, do you think that's going to be a positive change uh, for the game or a negative change for the game? We'll, we'll have to see. I mean, I've, I've always been a supporter of, regional balance and like i've i've said for a number of years um with with playoff expansion and also just the cfp in general that it's better when you have a west coast team in the mix and you know so one of the reasons i've been a proponent of playoff expansion was because you know i do think that you have more engagement more parts of the country it, it has more access for more people and a path to being part of the postseason and it, it's all of the above. And so for me, like regional balance means, you know, like USC being good last year for the Pac-12 and being very close to making the college football playoff. And so I don't know how that's going to play out when they're in a conference that's not the Pac-12, right? And that's not, you know, it, it is regional balance. It's LA, you're engaging the West Coast, but it's a league that is Midwest based and is is not like it's it's a league that sends teams to the college football playoffs. so those pieces I'm, I'm interested to see how all of that plays out because I just think that it's healthiest for college football when you have regional balance you have new teams popping in and out you have blue bloods in the mix um and in all of the above but I do think that in an expanded college football playoff this is part of the reason it's important ultimately for the sec and the big 10 there's more landing spots i mean it's it's you're going to need to be sending more and more teams when you're bringing in blue 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 blood brands um you know the sec yes they've gotten two teams into a 14 playoff but you're adding oklahoma and you're adding a texas program that wants to be back and wants to be in the mix and playing for national championships you need more access points and and so i think you know those two leagues go to 16 members it makes sense that you're now walking into a system where there's six at large spots every year, in addition to essentially auto bids for the big 10 champ and the sec champ. And I think that's going to be important. Those two leagues are probably yes, going to dominate the the playoff, which is how it's been. If you do the data over the first nine years, it would be a lot of sec and a lot of big 10 teams. And then, yeah, if you calculate like OU and Texas and, and USC as is big 10 member, like those, those numbers, you know, become even clearer. But I'm interested to see how all of that plays out and how it works. And then also adding in the other layer of the schools in the SEC and the Big Ten are going to be making so much more money than the schools in other conferences. And it's going to be tens of millions of dollars year over year. So it's going to pile upon each other itself. Sorry every single year. And what does that ultimately mean? Does that mean that the SEC schools will be able to hire away the best coaches or that their assistant coaches will make significantly more than assistant coaches in the big 12 or the PAC 12? Um, so there's going to be a lot of uncertainty and a lot of dynamics like that, that I'm just kind of interested to see how it all shakes out. You've been in the big 10 the most of your life, just, uh, what, what's your, uh, favorite venue in the big 10? 
Oh, that's a good question. So um, I think that I get off. I often get asked a lot, like, you know, the best atmospheres in college football. And I haven't been everywhere, but I will say that a night game at Penn State Beaver Stadium is right up there. I put that in an LSU night game as like my uppermost echelon. Um, it, it Penn State, like the way that it's structured is just the stadium is so loud. It shakes. The whiteout is for real. Like it's an incredible student section and fan base that really buys into all of those things. So I put that up there. Um, the jump around in Madison is as awesome as advertised. That stadium also shakes when you're doing that. Um, if you have a drink, like it will spill. Uh, so that's up there. I will also say, so I covered college hockey at Michigan my sophomore year, and I would put a hockey game at Yost in, in Ann Arbor up there as well. Hockey fans are so smart. They, they know exactly what's happening on the ice at all times. Cause there's certain cheers for like very specific moments, right? Like it's, you know, for a power play or for like when you're in, um, in this part of, on this part of the ice and like, you know, it's just, they're just so smart. They're so smart. So it's awesome. And, uh, I really do recommend like an in-person college hockey game is one of the best sporting events that you can go to, but Yoast in particular, it's just so historic and, and just a really awesome college hockey venue. Um, and then, I mean, you know, you've got assembly hall for basketball at Indiana. Like there's just some very iconic, uh, settings for for some of these sports but i would say i would put beaver stadium night game whiteout game like that is should be on everyone's bucket list it really is an awesome experience yeah talking about uh the college football playoff this year which obviously it's early but if you had to pick right now who you think the four teams in the college football playoff which is the last 14 college football playoff we'll see uh, which four teams would you predict Okay, no one's asked me this yet because it is still only April. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be a cop out here because I have not worked through all of my picks. We always have to do them for the athletic at some point in August. And I always try to pick like a dark horse candidate. And like this year, the dark horse teams are kind of I think they're gonna end up being like Florida State and Penn State will be those teams that people will think like, you know, they 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 were really young last year and they had these good seasons and they're kind of gonna jump off into this season. Um, and I do think FSU could win the ACC. So maybe that is one that I will ultimately go with, but, um, I have not figured all of that out. I feel like it's, it's very hard to figure out, you know, at this point, I think you give the edge to Georgia in terms of like which SEC team you pencil in because they are the gold standard in the sport right now. Um, even though Alabama really has not fallen off much. So, I, I mean, it's probably, probably going Georgia and then, is it Ohio state? Is it Michigan? But it's one of those two. Um, and then, you know, you're looking at the rest. I mean, I do think USC will be a, a popular pick. They were very close to doing it last year. You return the Heisman trophy winner. And then it's really that fourth spot. So maybe um, again, I'm not, I want to be held to any of this because it is April. Maybe I'll go Georgia, Ohio state, USC and Florida state as my, as my picks for now. I like that. No Alabama. What do you think of that, Claire? <laughs> Alabama is just, I think they're going to come from behind. I mean, we underperformed, but our underperformed was winning 11 games. So we're, we have two top, top three, at least top five picks in the NFL draft this year. And we consistently get talent. And I think that's where Georgia is Kirby Smart going to be able to keep bringing in the recruits or 
is that just were they gonna fall off this year I guess we'll see yeah that's the that's always the question when we have to do these picks it's like for a number of years I would just always put Alabama and be like until they prove otherwise like I might as well just default to including them and uh, I'm sure people will also pick like Georgia and Alabama getting two of the spots since we've seen that before, but it's hard. It's, it's really hard. And and then obviously with the 14 playoff, like one or two games can kind of knock you out of, out of that mix. So, um, so we'll see. So don't get mad at me. I'm probably wrong. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, you're good. Claire, did you have anything else to ask? Um, how, like, so I, in reviewing your recent articles, I saw that you have written on, you know, a lot of sports on multiple topics. Do you have a favorite topic like, or sport that you, you know, prefer to write about? Well, I, um, you know, college football is my main job. So that's like, I would say 90% of the time. Um, but I covered men's college basketball for USA Today is my main sport there. And so for about six years, that was my main beat. And then I also did Olympic swimming. So that was really fun. I really enjoyed the Olympics. Um, and also just, it was just a totally different world and totally different schedule and experience. Um, and, you know, people, they're just so excited to talk to you, especially non-Olympic years and tell their stories. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, I mean, I've, I've added women's college basketball. I've done some men's college basketball, all of those. And I'll, I'll be doing some softball as well. So I, I enjoy getting to dip my toe into all of those other sports. But I mean, it, it would probably have to be college football because I when I joined the athletic, like that was the sport I wanted to cover. It was becoming and is now very much 12 months a year uh, sport and the off season and the transfer portal and everything around it has become so important. And it's become something that, you know, the off seasons have been even busier than the seasons. And I think it's a good thing. It just shows like the the where the sport is and just how interested people are in it. It's it's so long been a regional sport, and I think now you're seeing the ways in which like the CFP and again the portal and some of these other elements have made it more national, where people are tracking on things in other parts of the country or players on other teams that they may not have in the past. And so I love college sports because you get a new class of athletes every single year and there's always stories coming in and there's always excitement. And there's, there's a connection that readers and fans have with their teams that is very different than pro sports. And I get that pro sports fandom, like it can get passed down from generations, but there's something different about like a school that you spent four years that you grew up in. You, you changed, you know, going from 18 to 22 and so I think that there's just there's an ability to tell stories that are really special and unique at the college sports level. And then college football is just such a big deal. And I think when you when you can capture that and tell great stories in college football, they really resonate with people. So that would probably be my favorite. But I, I will also say that there is no better feeling than during March Madness, men's or women's, when there's a big upset and you walk into that locker room and it's just like it's just it's overflowing with possibilities. Like you don't know what are the great stories in that team. You're going to find them. You're going to figure it out. And the nation is watching the nation is interested in learning about these teams. So um, that is also way up there as, as one of my favorite things to cover. I'll be honest. I don't watch swimming except for the Olympics, but it's very exciting. Did you get to cover Katie Ledecky at all or Michael? Fowl? I did. Yeah. Okay. So I covered the London and the Rio Olympics. So they were both, nice. um, you know, they were both there and 
the London Olympics was, or sorry, the Rio Olympics was probably the best sporting event I will ever cover because you had Katie Ledecky and all of her dominance. You had Michael Phelps in his last Olympics. And there were like world records and crazy finishes and so many different things. You had a little bit of like the Cold War with the with Lily King and the Russian swimmer as well. And so it was just like there was just something crazy every single night. And you just knew that like the entire world was watching what was happening in that swimming pool. So that was a really awesome event to cover. Yeah, and Nicole, just one more question for you before we get you off of here. Uh, do you think OU softball is going to make it three in a row this year? Well, I think they're going to be the favorites. I mean, they're just always so loaded. Um, I mean, that was what was crazy about the team last year was it was just like one through nine. Anybody could hit it out of the park. And usually you don't see that on the bottom of the lineup. But for them, they were just so loaded and so many home run hitters uh, that it was it was really remarkable. So it feels like it is one of those uh, those dynasties in, in college sports. I mean, I spend the whole women's basketball season being like, hmm, is it South Carolina or the field? And I feel like we're going to start talking about softball in the same way. And, and listen, like that's what you, you deserve and you earn when you've done what Patty Gasso has done. And also just how dominant they've been in the last couple of seasons, everyone's going to chase you, but when you reload and you're, you're adding through the portal and through recruiting, uh, you're just, you're going to be right up there as usual. And so, um, yeah, I fully expect, I expect that when I'm there covering the college world series, that Oklahoma will also be there. Yeah, thanks again for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it, Nicole. Great insight. Yep. Yep. Hope Thank it you. helps. Yeah, you guys are welcome, and good luck with everything in your careers. I'm really excited to to for you guys to get in there and and get experience what it's like to be a college journalist. It it really is fun. <laughs>